Welcome to MindLob, the hive mind antidote for conservative Christians that want to form their own conclusions. And now your host, Ken Welcome Carroll. back. In this podcast, I dare to ask the question, what do Five Chimneys, America, and Auschwitz possibly have in common? Maybe nothing, but we're going to ask the question. I also want to talk to you a little more about hypocrisy. And as we delve beyond hypocrisy... Let's see how this all ties back into evil this week, and who knows, I may pull a few subjects out of my hat based upon my last week. Now, before we get going, I just want to update you on YouTube and what's going on with the channel that, to paraphrase the John Wick movies, has been an excommunicato. It was killed. The content that was created on that channel has forever been silenced and will never be seen again. Now, I shared with you what those videos were, and I shared with you last week what YouTube had said and why they silenced it. So as I go through this, you know, to me, the channel itself, I was indifferent to it, to be honest with you. I was not crushed by this. I didn't have a lot of viewers on the channel, But the thing that bothered me was, why was this particular channel silenced? Now, the content, ask questions. You know, ask questions like, why do some astronauts say they can see stars from space and others say they cannot? Why is it that asking a question about a plane crash on 9-11 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, why is that so offensive? I did not criticize anything beyond just the plane crashing. I was curious, can a plane truly bury itself without leaving hardly any debris? Then I asked questions about Barack Hussein Obama's birth certificate because there was an investigation and credible investigators found that it was fraudulent. And it was just a rebroadcast of their press release. Then I asked the dreaded question, is Jesus an historical figure? Could it be proven outside the confines of Scripture? Which it can. And then I had a few other videos out there, uh, such as the Baphomet, the satanic icon that was pushed into governmental institutions several years ago. So what is it? What what calls this channel to be bit burned? I kind of like that phrase. I don't know if someone else has come up with it, but I like the idea of something being bit burned. It feels like book burning because the channel was burned. It was silenced. It was cremated. It has no epitaph. It has no memories. It doesn't even have ashes. The little bits that once contained that information are no longer uh, have that information as part of their bit, erased. So then I started to wonder, well, where should people be silenced in America today? Realistically, where should someone be silenced? Told, you're not worthy to be able to express your opinion. You're not allowed to. It's too dumb. It's too offensive. It's too fill-in-the-blank. At what point have we reached that? Is the point with religion, where it's unaccepting of some modern behaviors? Is it possibly with things that are non-scientific, according to science today? Should people be shut up if they talk about flat earth? And what if someone were to dare ask questions about evolution? Could that be silence too? What about a conspiracy? What about a good conspiracy story? Should that be silenced? What about a bad conspiracy story? Should that be silenced? I don't know where the lines are at. It seems a little arbitrary to me because at times... Things are silenced that are, you could argue, okay, it's conspiratorial in nature. This should go away. 
But then we have paranormal activity. We have UFOs. We have Sasquatch. We have a lot of these subjects that seem to thrive on the Internet today. So what's the difference? Is it offending someone? Well, what if I'm offended by the concept of someone believing in aliens being benign creatures? What if I'm offended that someone believes in aliens as being malicious creatures? What if I'm offended that someone dare to think the ghost haunt and keep me up at night and prevent me from being able to sleep? At what point should these things be silenced? And I guess the bigger question is, is who gets to dictate that? Who mandates it? And why do they get to decide what is allowed and what is not allowed? I'm not really sure the answer to these questions. And as I watch YouTube and I see incredibly offensive content on one channel and then what appears to be pretty benign content on another channel, um, it, it just doesn't have any rhyme or reason. It's as though you're appealing to some subjective and confusing set of rules. And perhaps that's why I've not heard back yet. Perhaps I offended a certain segment or a certain group with those videos that I should not have offended. Now, is it fair to not put the rules out? Is it fair to say we want to have all content so long as it's not offensive, but then not describe what offensive is and then allow someone to spend hours and hours creating content and then posting it and then have their bits burned too? I wonder where are the lines at? So as I had lunch with a pastor friend of mine this week, he was telling me about an interview that he was listening to on Joe Rogan. And it was between someone that he labeled as someone who's on the far left. And he also equates Joe Rogan as someone center left. Okay, I'm going to confess here. I don't listen to Joe Rogan's podcast. I just don't find it that interesting. But he's a very popular person. He's a very uh, entertaining person from what I hear. And whenever I catch him on UFC, I do enjoy him there. And I did like him in Fear Factor as well. So nothing personal, Joe, if you ever stumble across his channel. But in that particular podcast episode, this left-leaning person was going, hey, this censorship thing looks like it's going a little bit too far. And I'm not really sure that America's going down the right way by silencing a Donald Trump or silencing an SGT report or silencing my poor little channel with a handful of viewers that actually stumbled across the channel that I had published. So if the left-leaning people and the right-leaning people and now the center people are all going, hold on a minute, maybe we are pushing this a little bit too much. Where are the lines drawn? I mean, right now, I, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm kind of unplugging from the news. I, I don't listen to mainstream media news, primarily because I do think that it is a machine of propaganda. I think where they get their information is from uh, uh, questionable resources. And I think that there are agendas. And if you go back and listen to one of my previous podcasts, I go into what I feel is going on within the media. Now, I could be right and I could be wrong. You have to make your own decisions. Um, however, as I'm going through it, I hear about, you know, Dr. Seuss. You know, maybe that should not be published. You know, it's offensive. But then I go, well, what about criminals? What about bad guys in any movie? You know, the bad guy who may be struggling. We don't have the backstory on the bad guy. What if he's desperate? What if his kids are sick? What if there's something going on which makes the bad guy a bad guy? I mean, after all, the only thing that makes a bad guy a bad guy is from his deeds. And if we're going to make exceptions based upon his life circumstances, 
then perhaps we shouldn't be silencing that person. After all, maybe he shouldn't be a bad guy. Maybe he's a misunderstood guy. And people who are in that particular situation are also being discriminated against. And if you make that argument, I think you can make that argument for virtually any movie, any book, any situation at any point in history. And then, of course, I want to ask the question about Darwin, Charles Darwin's books. Have you actually read Charles Darwin's books? The Descent of Man. Have you read the conclusions? Have you read his thoughts and how racist those thoughts were? And, you know, we seem to want to pluck the leaves off the plant of Darwinism when we go after a guy like John Wayne or something like that. But the root of the plan is Charles Darwin and his racist teachings. Why are we not doing that? Why does he get a get-out-of-jail-free card? But yet, John Wayne doesn't, but he was indoctrinated by the teachings of Charles Darwin. And is humanism any different than any religion? I mean, if you say that, you know, religion, you know, you take the Christian faith, for example, and it has a certain moral structure for your sexuality and your gender and things of that nature. But then you bounce back to Darwin. Darwin says you have no value. You're an accident. You're a genetic mutation. Your whole purpose is to procreate and continue the species. That's the meaning of life. Just procreate. You're going to procreate and die. And what if you don't procreate? What is your meaning at that point, based upon the conjecture of Darwinism. So should Darwinism also meet its early demise on channels for being discriminatory, not just against women being of no value, but men being of no value and anyone else being of no value? I wonder. Now, I don't have the answers, but I like to see consistency. I love seeing consistency. I love seeing it have some rhyme or reason to it. And so a couple episodes back, when I started looking at the, the position of chocolate, and then I see that there are unfortunate slaves in Africa that are picking chocolate. And in America, the chocolate is being sold. Slave chocolate is being sold. And then I see that inconsistency. I can't let go of it. Because I'm like, well, hold on a minute. Why are we not holding on to this one, but we're holding on to this one? So then a week ago, I look at hypocrisy. And I see this whole documentary on a guy who was a, uh, turns out to be a Nazi soldier. And he was sent to Israel and he was found not to be the notorious Ivan the Terrible, brought back and then Germany extradited him. And the whole idea was that the Nazis should not get away with it. I'm fine with that. I agree with that. But then when I read Project Paperclip and I see that America and Russia split high-ranking, intelligent Nazis and gave them immunity, brought them over, gave them jobs. This is not conspiracy, folks. These are facts. And we're not hunting them down. We're not holding them accountable. We're not asking them for restitution. Why is there inconsistency? I think these are worth asking. And at the end of the day, we've got to have consistency. I mean, if you're going to pray, or if you're going to swear on a Bible, which, first of all, there's an immediate contradiction between swearing on the Bible and the Scriptures itself, but if you're going to swear on the Bible, then shouldn't you uphold the tenets of the Bible? Does it make any sense for someone to swear upon the Bible, but not uphold what it actually says? There's a hypocrisy there. And so what do you do with the hypocrisy? It's driving me nuts trying to figure this thing out. It's like there's no rhyme or reason. So... As I started going through my week and as I'm seeing this just hypocrisy and hypocrisy after hypocrisy, then I started listening to a book called Five Chimneys. Now, I was turned on to this book 
by another YouTube channel, and her channel is called Really Graceful. Really Graceful is on YouTube, and she asks some questions. Now, she dances the conspiracy line. She says some things that are very poignant. You know, on election night, she made a few conjectures, and it seemed awful close to what actually happened. So I listened to her, and in that particular book, Five Chimneys, she talks about some of the experiments that were conducted in Auschwitz, according to the writer of the book, who, according to her own words, was in Auschwitz and lived the experience. And so I've not gotten and I've not seen what she talks about on her channel to see that if it actually does say that. Now, I'm assuming I'm going to get to that point. But where I'm at in the book right now, I have found a few interesting points. And I started to look at this confusion in America. This idea of, well, we're going to silence this. No flat earth, but yes, aliens. Um, why is that? Why were the lines and, and why are they there? Do, do we just think aliens are real? Are we going to just draw the conclusion? Anyway, I digress. So let's get moving here. So five chimneys, basically, there were five chimneys at Auschwitz. And the five chimneys of Auschwitz were where they were doing mass cremations of prisoners of Auschwitz. Now, According to her, Auschwitz was not just Jewish people, but it was political prisoners. It was people who just got caught up in the wrong place at the wrong time. There was a bunch of different situations for the people who ended up in Auschwitz. Now, Auschwitz obviously was one of the biggest blots on mankind. It shows how a complete society can be twisted and turned and people can be conditioned to do horrific things. They can be taught that people are less than human if they are a certain culture, a certain race, or follow a certain religion. That's dangerous, isn't it? Is that happening in America? That This is the question I started asking myself as I was listening to Five Chimneys. So I made a couple of points here. And I'm, I'm turning my head, so if I fade in and out, please forgive me. I'll try to keep my head turned toward the mic. But one of the first points that I found interesting was, did you know that many of the people who were in Auschwitz did not believe that mass exterminations were going on? According to her, the place where the five chimneys were at within Auschwitz, they called it a bakery. They said it was a bakery. And so people who were being subjected to all kinds of horrific abuse could not bring themselves to believe that the bakery was a place where they were poisoning, exterminating innocent people. Now, according to her, people were wasting away. The stuff that they ate was horrible. Their lifestyle was horrible. The people that were actually in Auschwitz became almost inhuman at times just from the, the lack of what they needed for basic human dignity. But for some reason, the people, some people, not all of them, could not turn the corner at Auschwitz and say, if I go to that building, I'm going to be executed and cremated. Now, there were rumors going around in Auschwitz to that effect. But I find it just crazy to think that some people did not believe what actually was going on in Auschwitz. Now, the people that were being subjected, there were some nefarious characters there. They would call doctors. And when sometimes these rumors would come up, they would deny it. They would say, oh, it's crazy to think that you wouldn't really believe that that's going on, would you? And then they would ask the people, well, where did you hear that? Now, what they were trying to do was get the information. But the people that were in charge in Auschwitz, even under all these extreme circumstances, all they had to do was deny it. And so many just said, well, of 
of course, well, and they assume those people in authority would not lie to them. Now, can we compare that to any situation in America today? Can we ask the question, is it possible that some of the stuff we're being told today may not be the truth from the people that we look at? Maybe, what if it's not the truth that we're getting from our favorite social media resource, our favorite search engine, our favorite news channel? What if they're not being honest with us? What if they're following a, a, uh, a storyline, a manufactured storyline, and toting the lines for whatever reason? Let's just say hypothetically it's due to really greedy politicians who are trying to keep people under their thumb and maintain power. What if it's something that simple? And what if it's infiltrated everything? What if it's infiltrated the media? I mean, it's not hard for me to think that if you were paying someone a very large, comfortable salary and placing them on TV and giving them all the things that they want, that possibly they're not going to be the most motivated person in the world to do anything other than read the teleprompter or to be controlled opposition. I don't find that too unreasonable to think that. And free speech, what's interesting about free speech is when you do allow free speech to occur, you can allow a self-correcting mechanism. Why did they say this? And if you look at an event, if it's a false flag event, and you allow the masses to evaluate the information, then what you find out is that some people are going to look and go, well, hold on a minute. Why is this occurring in this situation? You see, when you trust the authorities to give you what you want to hear, that's exactly what happened in Auschwitz. That's exactly what happened to these poor people who were destined to death, and they denied it to the very end that that could possibly happen to them. They trusted the authority figures that stood in front of them and lied to them because they could not believe that it could possibly be something that was other than true, even though it was absolutely horrific what was going on in those concentration camps. Now, another thing within Auschwitz was Olga uh, Lingel. I, I, I know I didn't pronounce her name correctly, and uh, my apologies. Um, but she wrote the book, you know. But at one point, she was helping out, and and with the uh, the medical needs. And she would talk about how bad the situation was. Unsterilized equipment, where they would work on someone who was very contagious, and then they had to work on somebody that had something not hardly contagious at all, but then they had to make the decision, do we use the equipment that we could not sterilize, or do we not use the equipment? So they had all these issues that they had. There was a, a little pharmacy now, when I say pharmacy, don't think of your local pharmacy. It was a shack with a bunch of stuff thrown in it based on what she was telling me, at least the way I picture it in my head. But there was a hospital. Now, she also talks about that this was an extermination camp. You know, they, they were starving people. They were beating people. They, you know, when you read about this, it's just miserable. But then they had a hospital. So you got the contradiction. You've got this contradiction of extermination, but yet hospital. You've got people that appear to be doctors, but you've got people that are starving to death. You have roll calls, but you have massive thievery and all these other issues going on. And so we have a state of confusion. Now, is that true in America today? You know, when I hear people talk, they'll go, well, why is my church not allowed to gather but the big box store with presumably lobbying capability is allowed to remain open and grow? And so you see these big companies that are able to still operate 
and keep open their non-essentials during what was called a pandemic. And then you have the, uh, the small business, the powerless business, that was told to shut down. We got we to gotta shut down. What is the difference between the two? Why is it that I can walk into a restaurant, but I have to have a mask on, but the minute that I sit down, I don't need my mask? Why is it that an N95 mask uh, only protects up to a certain size, I think it's uh, three microns, but the COVID virus is much smaller? Now, I've heard the, the saliva argument, but doctors don't agree on the saliva argument. Why six feet? What, what's the six feet thing? Now, this is just in this arena, but if we take our social issues too, and we go, well, why is this allowed, but this is not allowed? And we see that as far as like even things that are time-capsuled, like Auschwitz. It's a historical event with a different uh, set of societal guidelines with it, not just within uh Germany, which was absolutely evil, but within America. The society in America was considerably different then, too. And what about the Native Americans? Why, why aren't the Native Americans talked about more? You know, the Trail of Tears. You know, why aren't we talking about restitution for the Native Americans? What about the Irish? What about them? Why aren't we considering them? What about the guy who's fighting for civil rights in America, but having his apparel created by impoverished people in other countries. But he's not so concerned about the impoverished people in other countries making his products. Why isn't he standing up against the people that are paying him millions of dollars as a sponsor and saying, hey, you can't have my stuff produced there. I'm sorry, but I'm drawing the line. I'm a social advocate. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Why do we have this type of confusion? There seems to be parallels between Auschwitz and America today. Another thing about Auschwitz, according to Olga, was the rules kept changing. They could never pinpoint exactly what they should be doing. At one point, the rules would tend to lean one way, and then they would shift as if to throw people off balance. And then it would shift again to throw people off balance another direction. Now, this also seems to be something going on in America today. Let's look at big tech. What are you allowed to push on a video? What are you allowed to talk about? If you're not calling out for some type of physical harm on someone, but it could make someone think or make someone angry, or passionate. Why aren't you allowed to do those things? You know, does this make full circle to possibly the videos that I had posted? Is this part of the confusion? Because the people who are having their channels killed on different places or their social media platform or whatever, they're going, what did I do so wrong? I'm just asking questions. I just want to know if this is what's happening or not. And here's the information that I've got. Right, wrong, confused, or indifferent. This is what I have. And do they think that the general public is so stupid that they have to be protected from being able to research something on their own? They have to be protected from being able to think for themselves, to ask questions? And then what happens if that starts to bleed into philosophy or religion or other subjects. I mean, remember when we first looked at what's going on in Auschwitz, we would go, well, that, that wouldn't go that far. But if we look at how far things seem to be going, it could make one nervous in certain perspectives. Now, if you dig a little deeper into this book, uh, once she got out of the general population and was working in the medical area, I'm hesitant to call it a medical facility based on how she describes it. But uh, in that area, periodically they would get a hold of a German newspaper. And she said that her and the others that she would with were, were with would pour through 
the newspaper for long periods of time. And they would try to discern the propaganda from the little pieces of truth in between the propaganda. So then I'm full circle to looking at the MyPillow guy, you know, when he did his documentary. And he shows server records. And he says, okay, here's the raw server records here, guys. This shows the IP addresses. This shows the times. This shows what was done. And there is not a, a real answer to those records. I mean, were they fraudulent? Were these records fraudulent? Why wasn't he called to the, the table on this? Why wasn't there something done if these were fraudulent records? And if they were not fraudulent records, could they be adequately explained? And so in Auschwitz, you have to keep in mind there are people starving to death where she said they were 50% of uh, their original weight, starving to death. Some people drinking out of stagnant water because they're dying of thirst. And they see the chimneys bellowing with some strange smell. And yet they cannot believe through all that that the Germans would be so bad as to commit these acts of genocide against them. However, that's exactly what was going on. And so if you were there at the time and you were in those conditions, and remember, they're just like us. We're, we're not any uh, better than anyone else. We're all humans. But, you know, when I hear things like herd immunity, herd, you think masses, you think this is how they saw the people that were in camp. They're, they're not like us. We're different than them. And they don't deserve that right to state their opinion, right, wrong, or indifferent. They don't deserve to even live. They don't deserve food. And if we don't keep this history in our mind, I'm greatly concerned that we're destined to relive it. I believe it was Gorbachev who said that the way to communism from democracy is through socialism and Marxism. And, you know, silencing people, putting people on a government paycheck, giving people, making people more dependent on the government to feed them, to provide for them, is part of that equation, according to, I believe it was Gorbachev. So what do we do? What, what are we going to do as Americans? Are we on the right path? Are we truly on a path of equality and enlightenment? And what about those that believe in traditional values? Are they wrong? What should happen with these people? You know, me and you, what should happen? Because if you're listening to this podcast, odds are you're a conservative with traditional values. Should those values no longer exist? Should their values no longer exist? Or, like the scriptures do, you're allowed to make your own choices and live your own way. Which one's right? Which one's wrong? You know, it's uh, very challenging times. And I wish I had better answers. But as I look at these videos and as I, as I watch... And I hear her, her, just her pain in the words that she writes. It's terrifying to me when I start to look at the silencing and the censorship and the president of the United States being silenced by a social media platform and then all social media platforms. Now, the good thing about free speech is it is self-correcting. You know, it's, it's like in school. You know, I remember when I was in school and some people would have certain ideas and they would share those ideas sometimes. But, you know, it would be a self-correcting mechanism among the group. Everybody was allowed to think freely within that group. 
you know, today it's almost like I, I listen, you know, as my, my children are homeschooled and I listen to the teachers today and it's like they're just trying to pull out of my children uh, very uh, left-leaning socialist-style agendas. You know, I could not believe that one of my children uh, brought me some paperwork about Columbus, and they were asked if Columbus was a bad person or not. And one of the people that they used to support that Columbus was a bad person, they actually quoted someone who was a former Nazi, a former Nazi critiquing Columbus as a bad person. What is the irony of something like that? But no one seems to notice that. No one seems to pay attention to the confusion or the lack of consistency when these things are happening. And to me, I just want to go, hey guys, come on, this is common sense. This is just how it is. And it seems like we've forgotten our common sense. Now, if you were to listen to, say, a Jonathan Kahn or someone like that, I think that his argument is that God is lifting his hands off of America. And so, you know, we still see God bless America. You know, we, we hear this, God bless America, land of the free, home of the brave. But what happens when we no longer follow God or we follow the wrong God? Or we deny God, and then we prop up a version of something that is completely concocted. Now, if morality is subjective, and God does not exist, then ultimately it does not matter. However, God does exist, and morality is objective. And since those things are realities, when you steer away from those things or you try to insert your own form of morality, then what should that God do? Should he still be a part of the people? Should he still bless that country? Or should that country, should that group of people fall into judgment? Which is more accurate? I think of you know, my children, you know, my children, they have food, they have a bed, they have things that they need. And in order to have those things they need, we have to survive as a family. We have rules. There are certain things that you do and you don't do. And that's part of the life. And that's part of the rules. Well, if, if God has a set of those same rules and we choose not to have those, then what happens? Do do we still get uh, the warm bed and the food and everything else? Or is it time for something else? So I think we need to seriously look at these things and consider it. Now, this moves me into a little further into hypocrisy. So as you can see, these subjects intertwine with each other at some point. Evil intertwines with hypocrisy and hypocrisy with society and society with rules and regulations. And then you see inconsistencies and then you see all this and then you're like, wow, how much confusion is there in America today in the world? Then you look at the the vaccinations and you hear things like uh, I heard that the uh, the White House is going to do some type of campaign to try to convince people that the vaccinations are safe and that you should take them. Why should there be a convincing that the vaccinations are safe? Why, why is that? I mean, from the right perspective, you've got Donald Trump who spearheaded uh, the expedition of these vaccines. And then you have the left that's pushing it and then you see that people who are not even doctors are, you know, behind these vaccines who are making crazy amounts of money with absolute immunity. So if you do get your vaccine, by the way, you know that 
the people who are giving you the vaccine are completely immune from anything that you may encounter in the future. Um, so from my perspective, I would say don't try to convince the people the vaccines are safe. What I would do is say put your money where your mouth is. And that is you're accountable. If the government's telling me to take a vaccine, if the pharmacy is telling me to take a vaccine, then they should be accountable for any damages. Now, if they do that, among some other things, then I think people may start taking them more. But as long as that's not the case and you're just trying to convince me, then convincing me at what point does that become propaganda? Now, you may say, well, but, but they're safe. It's not propaganda. What they're trying to do is convince you of something that is, you know, trying to, trying to basically diffuse you of something that's not true and trying to enlighten you into the truth. However, this is the fastest vaccine that my understanding that was created. And the mRNA stuff is, you know, what, a decade or a couple of decades when they first started playing around with this? What's going to happen in 10 years or 20 years or 5 years or 2 years? What's going to happen? How do we know that we know that we know? How do we know what happens with this concoction with other vaccines? You know, uh, passing some of the trials and pushing it through, I certainly get it, you know, if there was truly a pandemic because now you have people who are coming out. You know, I heard Tony Robbins, for example, you know, he came out and he showed these graphs from the last three or four years. And he shows that, uh, certain uh, things that cause people to die. You know, those things have been down. And then COVID has magically replaced almost that same number, that same percentage. Now, is Tony Robbins' information incorrect? Or is it correct? Now, you have to dig. You can't just find the stuff readily available. And, and what if there are doctors that don't believe the vaccine's are safe. You know, I sit here and I watch some of them and I have to really hunt in weird places to find these doctors. But there are a lot of doctors who are silenced. They've been silenced like my YouTube channel. And they don't think that you should be taking these vaccines. They don't think that COVID's as bad as they say it is. They're questioning the rules associated with COVID and the closings, they have a lot of questions. And these are credible, you know, people that have the appropriate degrees, the appropriate acronyms behind their names to be able to question, but yet they don't. And why is that? Why do we need to silence those doctors? I mean, what's the percentage to where they should be accepted? What if it's 5% of the doctors? What if it's 10%? What if it's 1%? What if it's 50%? What percentage of doctors have to be singing the same tune before they're allowed to speak what they think? And then at what point do you have to march with a consensus? And then what about when it comes to things like evolution and science? Is it the same way? Or can that 5% talk? Or are they allowed to without worrying about losing their tenure, their jobs? You know, I wrestle with these things. And I wish I had better answers for these things. I wish I could depend on my news guy. I wish I could depend on what I see. I wish I could trust the fact checkers, but when you fact check the fact checkers, you find out that they are just as human as anyone else, and they're just as driven by agenda as anyone else. Yes, we're all victim of the human condition. So here we are. Here we are in America. And you have to decide, are we at our five chimneys? Are we seeing 
smoke billowing from the chimneys of America as we look out. And then we turn on our television or our favorite uh, uh, social media channel. And we watch people make fun of the people who are questioning these things. And worse, those people are silenced to where you don't even think they exist when you look at them. And we just sit and watch the bellow and we think that fresh bread is being baked in those ovens. And all along, it's your freedoms and it's your future and it's your children's future. It's the state of the dollar in America. It's the state of freedom in America. It's the loss of what every person that is lying in Arlington died for. What if it's that? What if it's that? You know, it's a scary thing to think that we are watching those billows and we think that it's simply a bakery. That being said, I'm not sure what to do about it. I don't have any answers. I don't have a game plan. Um, I'm hoping that something will rise up. I'm hoping that as I'm seeing the left and the right looking more and more and going, whoa, hold on a minute, this censorship is a little bit crazy and we do have to do something. Maybe Gab TV will rise up. Maybe Parler will be the victor of free speech. Maybe these things will topple down like the big box stores of yesterday that thought they could not be overthrown, but they were overthrown by the next big thing. Maybe the next big thing will do that. Or perhaps we're in the end time. Perhaps we're winding down and we're seeing evil. You know, Revelation indicates that almost it almost seems impossible to believe. But when God returns, according to the biblical scriptures, the nations will rise up against God. It says the nations will rise up against God. How crazy is that to think that the return of God, the one who could simply think mankind out of existence, and yet people think that they can rise against this God, the God of God, the King of Kings, Elohim, Yahweh, think that they can rise against this King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and overthrow him because, well, what is it? Is it because they believe they know better? Is it because the desires of their heart and what they want is more important. And when God comes back and says, these are my rules, these are my guidelines, this is how it's supposed to be, and these other things are wrong. Is that what infuriates the nations to rise against God? Is it the ego of the individual? Is it the spirit of the Antichrist? What is it that causes these nations to rise against God. I think that perhaps this takes us back to Genesis. For when Eve took of the fruit and then Adam took of the fruit, we weren't in a position to be able to harness something as powerful as the knowledge of good and evil. We are little children. We are babies we are babies trying to understand things. We are babies that want our way. We want God's blessings. But we want to kick and scream when we don't get the keys to the car to go out when we want to. We want to think that we're so intelligent and that we know so much more and that the desires of our heart far exceed what the knowledge of our Creator tells us we really need. It just you know, baffles me that these things are coming to be, but they are coming to be relatively quickly. And I uh, think that if you were, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, you'd probably think that the times today were, were inconceivable, probably could not even project what was going on today. But yet here we are, 
And so maybe that's part of this thing. Maybe that's part of the the curse. The big part of the curse is that we weren't ready to harness the power of good and evil. We were too young and too immature and too babyish. And that's what we see today, even from our great intellects who claim that they know so much about the universe and man and creation, genetics and quantum mechanics and the God particle and what happened uh, at the beginning of the universe and where we're at and what we do and all of these things and then concoct the stories of subjective good and evil when in reality, if you were to believe that good and evil is subjective, then what these people, these human beings went through in Auschwitz, what Olga faced in Auschwitz was not evil. It wasn't good. It just was. And can you really say that? I mean, can you say that being intellectually honest with yourself, that that was not evil? And if you can do that, are you willing to stand out on a limb and say what happened at Auschwitz was not evil? Objectively evil? Well, what if the aliens were to come back, if you believe in them? And what if they were to subject humans to mass extinctions and torture and work and all these things? Is that going to be evil or just, well, that's just subjective. We're just the cattle of the aliens. You see how weird this gets. And I always take it full circle to the individual. You know, if you're so sociopathic, if you're such a psychopath that you can't relate to someone else's pain and anguish, someone else's evils that are done upon them, then project it upon yourself. You know, you might be able to justify yourself cheating on your spouse, but what about your spouse cheating on you? What about someone stealing your money versus you stealing their money? You know, when you personalize it, I think that sometimes that brings things full circle. So evil is not subjective. And the arguments for subjectivity within the realm of good and evil is one not taken within the perspective of humanity and to see that overall humanity does know the difference. Humanity also has this ability to be tainted by the desires of the heart, the desires of the flesh, by the desires to be intellectual by the desires to be whatever the case may be powerful socially relevant religiously relevant whatever or perversions or whatever the case may be and so if that's the case then we have to to kind of consider those things too as we try to understand why the cultural uh decisions of like oppression of women or chocolate slavery or whatever, why it's accepted in some places and not others. You see, it's a complicated issue. The scriptures are very good about this. You see, for me, when I read the Bible, some of the things that are the most profound to me is how the Bible understands the human heart. And it talks about how people follow things that itch their ears. They follow, they follow things they want to hear. They follow the interpretations that they want to hear. You see what I'm saying? They follow the things that they want. And then there's a hardening of the heart. The hardening of the heart makes you more immune to things. I remember talking to a guy years ago. And he was talking about a certain thing in his life that... He should not have been doing. And he says, well, why don't I feel bad about it? Why, why do I not have a conscience about this? Why do I feel okay about what I'm doing? And I remember I was sitting outside with him. And I looked over and I saw a bicycle chained up. And I said, do me a favor. I said, go over there and steal that bicycle. And he says, no. He goes, I, I, I'm not going to go steal a bicycle. And I said, well, why not? Why don't you go steal the bicycle? 
And he says, well, it's wrong. And I said, well, how do you feel about it? He's like, nervous. I said, well, let's say you stole it. How would you feel? He goes, well, I feel like I've done something wrong. And I said, well, what would happen if you stole a bicycle every day for the next six months? How would you feel about it? He says, well, I'd probably be used to it. And I, I questioned him. I said, well, is this what you're facing in your life? Maybe it's not the fact that it's not wrong. Maybe it's the fact that your heart is hardened to this thing that you were doing. And so when we look at good and evil and we start to think that somehow culture is the scapegoat or social evolution is a scapegoat or whatever is a scapegoat, you've got to understand that when you were given the knowledge of good and evil and you were given the breath of God and you were given these attributes, you were also given the ability to deceive yourself and the Nahash, the serpent of Genesis, he was out for destruction for whatever reason against man. And he wanted us to try to harness this thing in which we were ill-equipped to handle. And so we can try to argue around it. We can try to say that, well, the person committing the most evil or society had to get together to... Uh, join forces in order to, to stay in groups so that survival was more probable among fierce creatures of the night. But at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, well, what is that relevant to today when we no longer face those same villains of the night, when we no longer need to be in those groups? Should we even adhere to those same moral structures? And that is preposterous. And that's what I was trying to demonstrate over the last two or three podcasts. Is if you try to say it's the amount of evil imposed on somebody else, then you've got to ask the psychological evil questions, the physical evil, the harm. What weighs more and what weighs less? Or if you're saying it's society, then you've got to ask yourself, well, how is that relevant today? And if you can't escape the moral um, arbitrary decisions made by a group of hominids, and you can't escape that today, then it doesn't matter if you're the biggest scientist or whatever, you're still subjected to the exact same predisposition of ancient hominids, and you can't escape it just like a person who has a religious belief can't escape theirs. You see what I'm saying is... We're arguing ourselves into ignorance. Now, the scariest part to this is this is exactly what the scriptures indicate will happen at the end of time. They indicate what we're going to be and what we will do. And we're following it like a script to the very end. We are becoming mockers of God. We're becoming those that are denying the truth. We are becoming a group of people that are following the desires of the heart. We're becoming a godless people. We are no longer the people that are carrying the moral fiber and the uprightness of the people that preceded us. We're waving a banner saying that we're intellectually superior and we know better. We're smarter. We're more intelligent. But are we? Are we truly that? Or are we at a point to where we no longer accept the truth as truth and we have become babies, children, kicking and screaming on the floor because we no longer get what we want the way we want it and we'll demand it. And now our politicians will give it to us because they want to be elected and hold their power. And they also like their money, so they want the lobbyist money. So what they'll do is they'll uphold some type of civil justice so long as it does, does not interrupt their cash flow. Like big lobbying companies who abuse people and commit the same atrocities under the banner of a cute little icon. So what is it? So where are we as a people and what's going on? There is a lot you can learn from downloading the audiobook Five Chimneys. 
And as you listen to it, as you listen to the undertones of what's going on and how people fool themselves, what I think you're going to see is that this is resonating true to today. And the one thing that we cannot afford to do is commit the same sins that have happened in the past. And we can avoid that if we just were to listen to the ghosts of the past who are warning us about what can happen if we're not careful. And we listen to the doctors. We listen to the leaders that are leading us to the gas chambers today. But the gas chambers today are that of a lack of freedom, a lack of God, a lack of morality, a lack of civility. And in exchange for what? This is my concern. Thank you for listening to MindLob. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast or visit MindLob.com to learn more.